Every year, global political and business leaders come together for the World Economic Forum in the quaint ski resort of Davos, nestled in the Swiss Alps. They come to have conversations on the pressing global issues, including not just economic challenges, but environmental concerns and political roadmaps too. This is the 54th edition of Davos this year, taking place while many countries in the Middle East are grappling with geopolitical tensions from the Israel and Gaza conflict to Sudan. The World Economic Forum's annual meeting is also happening at a time while the world is still adapting to the rapid advancements in AI. We can't say optimism is in the air as the forum's latest global risk report has listed several threats to face the world over the next two years. That's including misinformation, disinformation, cyber insecurity, extreme weather events, social polarization, and conflicts. As Davos meetings close this Friday, we want to talk about what has happened this year and what are the possible changes that have been looked at. This is Beyond the Headlines, and I'm your host, Inas Rafai, coming to you straight from Davos. We'll dissect the annual event with our very own editor-in-chief, Mina al Arabi, and our special guest today, renowned journalist and CNN host, Richard Quest. So Richard and Mina, thank you so much for joining me here in the Davos podcast studio. As the Gaza and the Ukraine wars continue, eyes on US and geopolitical turbulence. How have those of you who have spoken to these the leaders here, how do you think the global outlook is looking? Well, it's been interesting because, of course, Gaza and Ukraine wars continue. We had president of Ukraine here, Vladimir Zelensky, in person. Last year, we had him via teleconference. Um, and then, of course, while we were here, uh, we had the... You were going to say something. Yeah, it was fascinating because <laughs> they, President Zelensky went to the Ukraine house, all right? And the Swiss police and army closed down the road either side of the Ukraine house on the promenade. And within, oh, I would say, 20 minutes, you had not just traffic jams, you had gridlock, the whole of Davos. And the best part about it, you've got all these very posh elites sitting in the backs of limos, and they're not going anywhere, nowhere. I have never seen, in fact, I was talking to a, a couple of other people, never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like it. For hours, people were just stranded. And so for the listeners who've never been to Davos, so there's the Congress Center, which exactly. is where the official participation is. And then there's the promenade, which sounds oh. really fancy. But it's this long stretch of road where companies and countries pay way too much money to take out a place so that they could have their own place. So Ukraine House became a thing after the war, I believe. It's only since the war they've had a Ukraine House. So you'd think they'd keep it accessible for everybody else. But yes, I, I, I got stuck in that too. And I was oh, not pleased, but I didn't know why. You were probably in a limo going to some fancy dinner. No, I was I in the was, shuttle. I Us plans are in the shuttle. <laughs> I was walking. Anyway, but, but my point is, you know, I don't know about this Davos. Okay. So what has been different from other years? It, it, for me, it's lacked a certain energy and, and enthusiasm and excitement. And I think that's largely because the problems now are very, very serious. But you also have to remember there are really two Davoses going on at the same time. On the one hand, you've got the famous bit. Zelensky, the Iranians, the Iraqis, you've got uh, Jake Sullivan, all big, oh, let's think about it. And then you've got the bulk of it, 
which are still CEOs, managing directors, but they are dealing with things like poverty, education, water. Inflation, inflation interest rates, infl unknown. And that's at a much more, so, so most of the sessions are not big and sexy. In the, they're very valuable. And I haven't felt that the two Davoses have really gelled like the, 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 they often do. So I agree with you because I felt, but I felt this year it was more real in the sense that the problems are really big. And usually you come here and everyone's like, this is, you know, this is what the future is going to hold. This is what the future is going to hold. But when we don't know how to get out of the present, and especially because, again, we've got Gaza war becoming really a regional conflict now and Ukraine war where we're not really sure how steadfast Americans are going to be through this. There's a hesitancy and I think uncertainty. Davos can't thrive when there's this much uncertainty. There's often uncertainty, but not on so many layers. Do we feel though that Davos is what you make of it? If your real interest is going to be, you know, US elections coming up, do we feel that that's what people concentrate on? Davos is very good at raising the big controversial issues, but never really grasping the nettle, <laughs> you know, which is a little bit different uh, to, to other forums, which don't even raise it or, or allow the whole thing to dis disintegrate. Here, at least they raise it. So yes, Gaza, absolutely front and center. Ukraine, front and center. But these are issues that are really difficult to solve. And when you have all the constituencies here, except Russia. You know, and the Palestinians to an extent. Is it just made more apparent? No. People, when they're all here and the, we people don't... Want, people want to skate to the thickest ice. They don't, because before, if you don't, before long, it disintegrates. And to that extent, I think I still think that the, 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 the vast majority of good work what done here at Davos is not the big sexy stuff. It's as one CEO said, he spends half a day here just talking to people about science and technology. People he doesn't even know. He'll just arrange to meet somebody to get briefed about AI because you're the glip expert and you're in Davos. And that's absolutely the strength of Davos. Yes. Is it, it, I learn more here yes. in the four days that we are here than genuinely probably most of the year in terms of idea generation and thinking this is where we're going. You know, I remember when they brought in Sophie the robot maybe yeah. eight years ago, nine uh, years ago, uh, and then she became mainstream three or four years ago, but we had already met her. Um, and it's things like that. On the technology side, on the science side, AI conversations were very mature, I found, before we just hear about big picture, whereas they did some sessions like education and AI. The conversations were very smart about how t tuition will change. And again, it's not, we couldn't get a headline out of it, but it made me stop and think. That's key. I hadn't thought of it like that. You know, you don't get a headline out of it, but you leave better informed. Now, there's a very, there's a very good argument to say, do you really need to spend all this money to schlep how many people up a mountainside at overpriced hotels with ridiculously expensive food just to do this? But does face-to-face -face work? I feel like there is a buzz that comes from face-to-face -face that maybe we've taken for granted. I don't think there's any dispute about face-to-face. -face. But does it have to be face-to-face -face in the Alps? And I think it does, because yes. I do think there's a sense of it's, God, it's I'm really special. worried. I'm really worried. I'm agreeing with you way, <laughs> I don't, way too We need to disagree. We need to disagree. So when there was a debate, it wasn't a real debate because they couldn't afford it, but when there was a discussion about whether or not Davos should go to the summer, after, I was one of those firmly, no, I want to put on my thermals and my boots because that creates an esprit de corps of the people who are here. 
Exactly. I, I was the same. We came in May 2021 when in there the was spring. Omnicorn. Yeah, it was May 2021 or 22. I can't remember, but it was a May. I think it was 2021, actually. Um, and it, first of all, Davos isn't as pretty without the snow, I have to admit. Um, and two, yeah, there was the same. Everybody was like whizzing from one place to another. Nobody was coming in with their big coats and boots. So I, I do think that. And I also think, actually, the timing is important because it sets the agenda for the year. And I do feel like we've got key markers for the year, especially in a big year like this with major elections globally, um, <laughs> but also the economy. We just don't know where we're going to go. And I just went into an incredible session about monetary policy, which is not my day job to understand, but it was just fascinating to have Mark Carney talking about monetary policy on the spot. Oh, and oh, we're set for the year. Mina. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams you would sit and say, I've just been to an amazing policy on monetary policy. Monetary policy. I'm ruined, Richard. I'm ruined. <laughs> ship is sinking. But that's the point because you get their 45-minute yeah. sessions. Yeah, that's you know, great. They're, they're really to the point. Really yeah. good. They're to the point yeah. and, they, and they do yeah. them quite well. I have to say one other thing about this year is, is the closed-door dinners and the closed-door conversations. Uh, they are they are quite concerning. And, and maybe because I'm from the Middle East, everyone's just talking about regions. So I don't know if somebody's talking about, I don't know. Well, actually, if you're talking about Argentina, Latin America, you're going to talk Argentina. If you're talking about China, you're talking about economic growth in a slump or not growing. So every conversation I've had has been much more direct and, and thoughtful, actually. Where I have a problem is the discrepancy between what people will tell you privately and what they will tell you publicly. And I think there's a really good example of this with the forthcoming US election. Yes. Now, at Davos, by nature, you have liberal elites. <clears throat> so, you know, you're, you're going to find people, particularly as Christine Lagarde said, who will say Donald Trump is against the values that Europe stands for. And they'll say that to you privately. But publicly, they will immediately... Oh, yeah, the, the, the old line, Americans will choose what they need to choose. Exactly, exactly. exactly. But privately, people will tell you in certain terms. And, and privately, actually, on, on Palestine-Israel, on Iran, on what's happening in the Red Sea, you get a lot more. And, and again, there were so many officials here talking about things and everything. They were like, sorry, but that's off the record. So exactly. There is that frustration. <clears throat> um, but I think... One of the one of the interesting things this year, they often bring side themes, and one of them was about indigenous people, and it was so interesting because you saw indigenous people walking around, and and I was at a dinner where a lady from an indigenous community in Chad, beautifully dressed, said something, and she said, "We're not here just to come with our pretty costumes so you guys can feel that you've included us. You actually really have to talk to us." And I thought that was really interesting because yes, I had noted that you know people in, in beautiful attire, but hadn't really bothered to speak. And so afterwards I spoke to her and she was saying big thing for them was climate. And the climate discussion has been kind of on the agenda, but on the side, not really. I think it's because it was last year and the year before. So Davos, <clears throat> you know, Davos is really good at putting the ingredients into the bowl. And then the bowl, then the, then the cake gets mixed and bakes with climate change. Post COP and all of that. The ingredients are in the bowl. It's mixing. It's baking in the oven, literally, figuratively. <clears throat> and so they don't need to spend the same. There's nothing more to say about that. The next thing is AI. Mm. And that's been a big topic of conversation. Have you witnessed or heard anything which you'd like to share from the small conversations you've been having? So I went to a 
closed door dinner, although frankly, it was all journalists. I don't know why it was closed door. It was all journalists, but it was about AI and the media industry. And I was also quite depressed by the result um, because we were talking about, again, you know, can you use AI to not only transcribe, but actually write articles? What does it take? Where is the industry and everything? This? And there was a big, big sense that actually there's a lot of journalism jobs that will go because of AI. And we haven't thought of the new ones that will come about. Now, the in-person stuff will still be there. The field reporting will still very much be there. So we would still want to be here in person, think about it. But actually, if I can replicate Richard's very distinct voice, can we next year or in five years time uh, no, have no. a podcast conversation <laughs> no, in no. Richard's thinking? Because that's a, that is a quantum leap. That is the sort of the, the um, fake. But if I, I, unfortunately, I couldn't remember my login details, so I wasn't able to do it, but I was minded to ask ChatGPT. I was doing a, a panel on uh, over tourism, and I thought to myself, just ask ChatGPT for 10, 15 bullet points on the issues of over tourism. And it will, provided I, provided I you know, then check that they are genuine, which I would have done because I know the subject, then What's wrong with that? That's no difference to me. But if I then say to you, to, to now write me a speech, which I then deliver, and it's uh, now that then then you start yeah. to, but research, it's a research tool. It is a research tool. So it's about tool. kind of like saving time. Um, but I suppose like journalism is so much about human connections. And I suppose that's when AI won't be able to take our jobs. Right. But, but the conversation is junior journalists start. Uh on some of these very basic kind of roles. And if that starts getting eliminated, how do you get up the ladder? Anyway, would, we're going down the tunnel on media no, and AI. But, no, but I was just interviewing the Prime Minister of Greece. Very, I'll tell you the beauty about Davos is it really is hard not to do the old name dropping. So as I was talking I to the Prime Minister, so but I was talking to the Prime Minister of Greece and we were looking at the AI wall and we have, you know, how prepared are we? Dangerously unprepared or whatever. And then we asked each of, our lead, of the leaders we talked to, What's your biggest worry? And he came up with one that I'd not thought of or I'd not given. He said, the teenage brain. He said, teenagers are not now being taught to think. Never mind think critically or think forensically. They're just going through it from a screen and that's going to get worse. What I would challenge the prime minister on is, yes, but their brains will just adapt in a different way. All you're talking about is thinking the way we would have done it for those of us who are over years old. <laughs> so one big question yes. is jobs. What? Because jobs, the idea of oh, jobs. Job, so in addition yes. to teenage brain, but then the next level of jobs and junior jobs and young people, Macron's speech. Macron, often when he gives speeches, then goes off the notes and keeps talking. But his speech yesterday was quite interesting because what he's, he really spent a lot of time on is Stability in Europe means middle class is having hope, his words, not mine, and hope comes from inclusion, economic inclusion, jobs. And his message to the private sector here was ensure that you are creating jobs. This is not just a job for governments. And part of that is AI, but part of it also is efficiency, how much money is needed, but there are things greater than money, and that's difficult coming from here, the World Economic Forum, but that is stability right. and inclusion. Right, but, but, but what they've learned here is they can't, we can't make the same mistake that we made with digitization in the noughties, the 90s and the noughties, the internet. Millions of people lost their jobs, and they were promised retraining, they were promised social welfare. Now, we know it didn't happen. 
My bigger concern and biggest concern is on that point, we're going to make the same mistake again. And I've said again and again to prime ministers, to presidents, to people I've been interviewing, why do you think you won't make the same mistake again? They haven't got a satisfactory answer. They just don't because we don't have the budgets. We don't have the wherewithal to do it. We're going to, we are going to screw it up again. Sorry to be pessimistic. That does seem to be like, there seems to be that kind of sense in the air here, a bit of not so much optimism. What do you think will be your takeaway though from this Davos? My biggest concern is that while the officials working on Middle East policy, and these are not just Middle Eastern officials, but people from abroad who are working on Middle East policy, while they are concerned and they realize how serious the situation is, there are no new ideas. There's a lot of description. So we're describing what it is. We're talking about the concerns. We're assessing the risks. We're talking about the opportunities. There are not enough new ideas. My biggest takeaway related to that is the problems have got noticeably worse over the last 12 months. To adapt, if I may, your concern, there are no easy answers. Whatever happens, let's just take Gaza, Israel. We keep talking about we want to avoid escalation. Uh, it's, it's high. Let's not talk about we want to avoid. We need to avoid further escalation. It's already happened. It's a, it's, it's a past tense. It's happened in the four days we've been here. Exactly. And nobody's got a solution. Nobody. Which, again, is more depressing. Have you ever skied here? No. I, so I was born ski? in Sweden, but I've never skied. You've never skied? Yeah, that's another story. Yeah. And I'm too scared to do it here because imagine I fall and like, break something, it'd be quite annoying to fall here and then like my colleagues would have to deal with it. And it's just, it's inconvenient. Oh, no, 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 we've got the to do insurance this costs. We have got to do this podcast one year at the top of the mountain. There's a very, <laughs> there's a very nice restaurant. Oh, I go up the there. Shots, at the shots. For, but the, the funicular takes exactly, me up. Exactly. And then I come down with it and I see people skiing down. I'm very jealous. Well, well let's do, let, let's actually get up. We've got all the technology. Let's do it outside next time. And in the, in the... We can do the podcast on the go. With our um, lapel microphones. Technology. Technology. <laughs> Technology. I will give you something to be hopeful about, though, oh, I have please. to say. Um, the conversation regarding diversity, inclusion, especially disability inclusion, I moderated a session on that, has become so much more sophisticated and serious. And uh, one of the speakers on my panel was the CEO of Baker Hughes. And they've taken on that they're not just talking about inclusion and diversity in their company, but through the supply chain and how... Again, this is boring, can't write a headline about it, but the idea that you've now got more sophisticated thinking on some of these issues where you have the CEO of a major company like Baker Hughes saying, I have to think about procurement and diversity throughout the supply chain. I felt that that gave me hope because I think lessons are being learned. You come year after year after year, you see that, oh my God, they're, they're not just repeating the same platitude. So I credit to the forum that's worked on some of these issues, but also credit to people who come back and, yeah, and try to do things I, better to learn. The forum does a good job. God help me, I can't believe I just said that. Will somebody smoke me down? <laughs> the forum does a good job, but Davos is only go as good as the participants who come to be prepared to engage. I'll be back next year. In terms of participants, we've seen a huge display of you know, Arab countries on the promenade. Um, it's really exciting time. You yourself, you moderated a talk about the GCC countries and the economic growth. Was there anything that you'd want to share on that conversation? It was interesting because, again, we had this, yeah, Minister of Investment of Saudi Arabia, Minister of Finance from Qatar, uh, Minister of Finance from Bahrain, and then a couple of the private sector representatives and the head of the Abu Dhabi Development uh, Council um, or Department of Economic Development. Having them all talk about the future 
And it gives you hope because, again, a part of the Arab world that does well, they all acknowledge that you can ignore the regional dynamics. So it wasn't, you know, blasé or thinking it doesn't matter. But there was a real sense that there's momentum. And I asked them about the competition because they're all going after similar things. And they all said, actually, it's happening so quickly. The pie is so big that the competition is healthy and it complements us. Yeah, they would say that, wouldn't they? It was on stage. (laughs) No, I tell you, so on this point, it's very reassuring to see the leaders from the region putting themselves on stages, being prepared to answer difficult questions or quasi-difficult questions, being in the environment. The proliferation of regional shops is overkill. They've, I mean, there is a, I think Saudi's got four or five different, before their offices, the Emirates got this massive thing. You've got just more and more and more Less is more. And I think they'll learn that lesson in the future. You don't need to hit everybody over the head repeatedly to tell them how wealthy you are. But do you remember when the Indians were here one they're year? They're doing it again. And they've done every single state. Yeah. And the thing is, it's different states of India. It's the same thing. And it's, so, 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 then, so the, the region is not the, the Gulf, uh, are not the only one. No. It's incredible to see the Indians where it's just like, I can't tell them apart. And, and I feel so bad because they've spent so much money and there are so, many, so much programming happening on the side. And, but and I just don't have time to see it. India, the, the, bit on the, the bit on the corner that used to be where India was, Cafe Schneider at the end, that's now something all cognizant or something. So I don't know, they, I don't know how they, India got turfed out of that. So now as a result, India is all over. India is all over the place in different places. Um, I think it's quite funny in a way. But one year I can never forgive. Was... I can never forgive BlackRock. They Black, started it. No, no, BlackRock has taken over Cafe Klatch, which is at the end of it. And as for the one who took over Cafe Klatch and Schneider, I mean, it's just, it, it's obscene. Yeah, unforgivable. Well, we've also had um, the emergence of new pavilions, the Kurdish pavilion being one, um, which I think you have been to yourself, Mina. Yeah, I mean, this is actually quite a sad story because the Kurdistan regional government came here, the prime minister was here, lots of businessmen came because they wanted to say Kurdistan is open for business. And... They took this Kurdish house, very pretty. And then, of course, you know, the night before everything kicked off, Iran lobbed seven missiles over onto Erbil, the capital city of the Kurdistan region. So I went the following morning and it literally felt like we went to a wake because the CEO of a major company in Erbil died and his child died and his wife and son are badly injured. And all these people knew this man. I mean, I literally went to give condolences instead of us talking about opportunity and investments. And that was really sad because they canceled, of course, all their programming. I saw the prime minister of the Kurdistan region there, Mr. Barzani. You know, he wasn't, I mean, yes, we talked about, look, this is this is one event. There, there are things to happen. But the reality is that really harsh reality of when there's war, when you have people, neighbors like Iran, it's very hard to move forward. I would put this under the heading Welcome to the real world. You know, if you're going to take a house, you need to be prepared. You need to have a strategy for what happens if something goes wrong. You need to know what you are going to do. Um, the thing about Davos, and I think that the I think that the Saudis and the UAE have got this, um, but I think what they have understood is that you, it's not a one shot. You have to keep coming back here year after year after year after year. The number of countries I've seen, Azerbaijan, they just do it once and they expect to suddenly own Davos or to have made an impact. No, 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 you've got to do it here. So I know, for example, that the UAE is in this lovely little white thing where it serves a very good cup of coffee and a nice hot chocolate. 
and they have very good panels. Yeah. This is the new thing as well. In all the, the Bloomberg House, the Emirates, the uh, they all have very good panels if you can get in. How many years have you been coming here? I never liked you. <laughs> 22. There you go. Well, I'm 16. Catching up, catching up. I have look, to skip a few. You don't look old enough. Yeah, I came as a teenager. I was a Oh, of course. <laughs> you're a young, you're a very young global lady. Or whatever that is. <laughs> and with that, um, thank you so much for joining on this conversation and hope to see you here next year again. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Inas Rafai. Thank you very much, Richard and Mina. <laughs>